Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 42. We're continuing our story of Joseph, but we're focusing on Joseph's brothers. We, have, we started doing that last week. We're continuing today to do the same. And they were in a lifeboat at sea. And after several days without food or without water or hope of rescue, the, fi- the pilot begins to pray. And he says, Lord, you know I haven't lived a good life. I've been a terrible husband, terrible father. I've cheated. I've lied. I've stolen. I haven't gone to church. But God, if you will save me from dying I promise that I will never. And then the navigator interrupts him and says, Stop! Don't say another word. I think I see land. Last week we ended our story with the story of the prodigal son. And we saw how the trial of want drove this young man to the place where he came to his senses where he went home and he confessed his sins to his father and then the celebration followed. We also saw last week how the trial of want awakened Joseph's brother's conscience. It drove them from the comfort of Canaan to Egypt. It also drove them from a conscience, consciences that were asleep to one's that had been awakened. And now, today, they are standing before their brother, Joseph. And today we will see how God uses the harsh words of Joseph in his continuing work to bring the brothers eventually to repentance. Let me read to you from the Word of God. This is Genesis 42, verse 6. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And when Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. And he said to them, where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dream which he had about them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to look to the undefended parts of our land. They said no to him. No, my Lord. But your servants have come to buy food. We are sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Yet he said to them, No, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. But they said, Your servants are twelve brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no longer alive. Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, You are spies, but this you will be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you 
that he may get your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in them. But if not, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. Now notice back in verse 6 and 7 that Joseph recognizes his brothers and pretends to be a stranger while speaking to them harshly. Now, some may be thinking he's doing this out of revenge. He's doing this because he's mad at his brothers to get back or get even with them. And some may be thinking it doesn't matter anyway because they deserve what they're getting. No matter what, because of all the things they did to Joseph. But sometimes, God can use harsh words to bring healing to a sinful heart. And one great example of this is in the life of John Bunyan uh, before he was a Christian. Now I'm going to read a quote from Bunyan. Hang with me here because it's in Old English. But uh, hang with me. It's a great quote. It says, he said this, Now therefore, I went on in sin with great greediness of mind, still grudging that I could not be so satisfied with it as I would. This did continue with me about a month or more, but one day, as I was standing at a neighbor's shop window, and there cursing and swearing and playing the madman after my wanted manner, there sat within the woman of the house and heard me, who, though she was a very loose and ungodly wretch, yet protested that I swore and cursed that most fearful rate that she was more made t- to tremble to hear me, and told me further that I was the most ungodliest fellow for swearing that she ever heard in all her life, and that I, by thus doing, was able to spoil all the youth in the whole town, if they ever came but in my company. At this reproof, I was silenced and put to secret shame, and that too as my thought before the God of heaven, wherefore while I stood there and hanging down my head, I wished with all my heart that I could be a little child again, that my father might learn me to speak without this wicked way of swearing. For thought I, I can so accustom to it that in vain for me to think of reformation, for the thought of it could never be. These harsh words from this woman, which, by the way, were truthful words, helped Bunyan to see his depravity, helped Bunyan to see his need for reformation. And the only one who could reform his heart was the Lord, which he later did. Look back at our text, verses 9 through 13. It says, Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. Then they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. One man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Yet he said to them, No. But you have come to look to the undefended parts of our land. But they said, Your servants are twelve brothers in all. 
the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest with, is with our father today, and one is no longer alive. They were honest men? Hmm. Like I said before, how do we know that Joseph wasn't being harsh out of revenge? How do we know that he wasn't getting even with his brothers? Well, the main answer for that is, we know Joseph. We know his character. We've been looking at his life for the past 20 years in the sense of since chapter 37, when he was 17 years old. We know that he's a godly man. We know that he is a type of Christ. So, could a forgiven man, one who has been forgiven of all his sins, could he hold a grudge against his brothers for 20 years? Could Joseph live for God's glory in the midst of slavery, false imprisonment, and being forgotten in jail while wanting to get even with his brothers? No way. We know from this story that he had already forgiven them. Joseph was God's man at God's time in his brothers' lives. And the great sin that the brothers had done was buried, and they wanted to keep it buried. And it was going to take great wisdom in dealing with this. And Joseph, because he was their brother, was the best man to do this, to deal with these ruthless men. And why do I call them ruthless men? Well, look at their past. In one point, when they were younger, they killed a whole village of men because one man in that village raped their sister Dinah. Jacob responded to the murder of these men by condemning his son's unbridled anger in Genesis 34. Reuben continued in his brother's evil ways by sleeping with his father's concubine. Judah also slept with his daughter-in-law, thinking she was a prostitute. Then finally, Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery. These men were a tough bunch of men. They wouldn't respond to gentle words. They would only respond to firm words given by the prime minister of Egypt. And this was God's plan from the very beginning. You remember last week we talked about how God turned the world upside down for these brothers. Showing how great a love he had for them. He was willing to cause a famine over the entire earth, that net, the known earth of that day, to get those brothers to go only to Egypt. They were standing before Joseph because of God's plan, and they were there ready to hear God's word. And notice in verse 9 what it says, Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them. Before he uttered one harsh word, he remembered, and this is a God-given thing, he remembered the dream that he had about his brothers. And he remembered, here they are right now bowing before me. The dream is being fulfilled. And he knew that. He knew 
that God was in this. He knew that, he had, that God had brought the brothers down to him. He knew that he was sent to Egypt to be their savior. He was God's man in God's time to speak God's word to his people. And so he chose his words well. Listen to what one commentator said about this. He said, if Joseph were left to himself, he would have revealed his identity in a moment. But he was restrained by God, who is using him for the salvation of his brothers. It was the Lord that brought these dreams to remembrance. And Joseph, I am persuaded, recognized the Lord in this. At once he perceives that his affair of his Brethren coming to him is of the Lord. It is no uncommon occurrence. It is not mere casual coincidence. The Lord is here in this place and in this business, and therefore the Lord must regulate the whole and fix the time and the manner of discovery. If he had been left to himself, Joseph would have hesitated a moment. His is not a cold or crafty temperament, He is no maneuverer. He would have had it all over within a few minutes, but the Lord restrains him. He is, I doubt not, consciously in the Lord's hand, doing violence to his own nature to serve the Lord's purpose. And much of the interest and pathos of this scene will be found to lie in the strong working of that nature under the control and guidance of the Lord. Joseph was God's man. He told the brothers what they needed to hear. You know, it would have been a lot easier for Joseph just to reveal himself and restore his brothers to him. But his brothers, more importantly, needed to be restored to God. What about us? Are you God's man? Are you God's woman? Are you God's teenager or child in the place where God has called you? In your work, in your school, wherever you shop, wherever you get your hair cut. Do we see meetings with others as accidents or coincidence or as divine appointments? Do we pray for opportunities to share the gospel with others that we come in contact with? Or do we sometimes take the easy way out and say, oh, I don't want to um, cause anybody problems. I don't want to feel like I'm being too harsh. I don't want to offend anybody. But remember, in this culture, anytime you bring up sin, for the most part, it's going to be taken harshly. But sometimes, like Joseph, these words that God, these are words that God wants us to say. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10, and we'll look at an example of this. Mark chapter 10. Verse 17. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, and this this is Jesus walking along on this journey. And the man knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, 
Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Do not honor your, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all, your, all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come, follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. You know, Jesus cuts through this man's religiosity. He cuts straight through to the heart, and he tells him, what is his idol? It's everything he owns. That's his idol. And you know, you think about it, that's pretty harsh words. To tell him, this is the idol of your heart, and what I want you to do is give everything away. That's harsh. And he says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Jesus was willing to tell this man the truth about himself, even if it seemed harsh. The young ruler needed to see his sickness before he could be given the cure. And that's why he walks away sad, because he he knows where he stood with God. And he was unwilling to turn from his sin. It reminds me of a, a friend of mine, now as a friend. Back then, he came to my office 18 years ago. And he walked into my office, and he sat down on my little blue couch. And he said, he said, my life's falling apart. My wife's ready to leave me. I'm hooked on crack cocaine. What can I do? And so I started talking to him about the gospel. And I gave him the gospel, and we talked about repentance. And you know what? When you talk to somebody who's doing crack cocaine, the conversation can seem harsh. You know, I told him, you need to turn from this sin. You need to turn from it. You need to follow Christ. You need to believe the gospel. You need not to go into neighborhoods where they're selling this stuff. And he left that day, and I thought, maybe he's changed. But you know what I heard? That he went out on a binge that very weekend. And I thought, oh my word. But then after a week, he came back to my office. And he heard the gospel again. And after that, he walked out of my office transformed. And after about two years, he left our church because they moved out of town. And I only saw him a couple times since. But a couple of months ago, we were at Dollywood. And we were, you know, doing the Dollywood thing. The girls were out riding the roller coasters, and we were doing all the shows. And we went to the museum in Dollywood, and, and I was walking through this museum seeing all this stuff that Dolly Parton had accomplished. I mean, golden albums and, you know, lined the walls and all these people she knew. And all the charities she's helped. I mean, she's done a lot of great work, you know, not just made a bunch of money. 
But as I looked at that, I started almost hanging my head thinking, what have I done? What have I done? And so for the rest of the day, I'm kind of walking around like, Standing in line, we, we had season tickets, so we went back. And I'm standing in line, and lo and behold, somebody comes up and taps me on the shoulder. And I turned around, and guess who it was? Ron. And we talked, and he laughed, and he's a crazy man. Joe knows that. He, he's a crazy guy, fun guy. And then he looked at me with the most serious look but a smile on his face, and he said this. He says, Mark, I am clean now. I've been clean now for 18 years, and it's because of your ministry. And it's not my ministry, it's the gospel. But basically what God was telling me in that is, back then, you were God's man at God's time. And you spoke God's word. And you're God's man now, too, to hear this from him. 18 years later. What a glorious thing to see. To be able to see a person's life change. Not only for 18 years, but guys, for an eternity. You know, one day, I'm going to be with crazy Ron in heaven. It's going to be a glorious thing. I can't imagine what it's going to be like. Now, I'm not saying, guys, I'm not saying go around and blow people away. Okay? I'm not saying be rude. But we need to build relationships with unbelievers. We need to pray for opportunities to share. And when God gives us an opening, we need to be bold to speak the truth in love. Do not fear what they think. You know, don't think of your reputation at the office. We are to be God-pleasers and not men-pleasers. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in uh, Romans. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. You know, think about that. He must have been tempted to be ashamed or he wouldn't have said it. So he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Apostle Paul was bold at preaching the gospel. And just like the Apostle Paul, Joseph was willing to speak the truth to his brothers in love. And because of that, he was able to see wonderful results. Go back to Genesis 42. Look at 18. Verse 18. So after they're in jail for three days, Joseph comes back to them. And he says this in verse 18. Genesis 42. Now Joseph said to them on the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. You know, they should have heard that. I bet you they didn't. I bet you that went right by them. But here he's telling them, I'm a believer. And what I tell you, I'm going to do. I'm being honest with you. You guys aren't being honest with me. I know you're not. 
You're lying. You're spies. He's doing that to awaken their conscience, right? And then look what happens. If you, and then he questions them again, he questions their honesty by saying, if you are honest men, like I know you're not, let one of your brothers be confined in your, in your prison, but as for the rest of you, go, carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words may be verified, and you will not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother, because we saw the distress of his, of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered them and, and saying, Did I not tell you? Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. You know, if Joseph only concerned himself about his own comfort, then he never would have seen his brother's first steps towards repentance. And what a joy it is to know that you are being used by God to to see a life changed for all eternity. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that probably every one of you now, since you've heard me preach for 18 years, could probably come up here and tell better than me. But you know what? After this sermon... This story has new meaning for me. It really does. You remember the story when I was in the Air Force and my first week at Homestead Air Force Base. I was lonely. I was 18. Didn't know anybody. I was scared to death. I had butterflies in my stomach. And a lot of you college students are going to have the same in a few weeks. That's This is encouragement, though. I'm not trying to... So somebody came up to me, and his name was Carlos Lopez. And Carlos said, hey, you want to go get some food with me, and we'll go back to my room? I said, okay. So we did, and we went back to his room, and we ate, and he talked. And then he pulled out his Bible. Remember this? His 50-pound Schofield. It gets bigger every year, right? But he pulled out this Bible and he started going through it and he started talking about sin. Okay? And guess what? We need to hear about sin. We need to hear about our sickness. But at that point, I, that's all I heard. You know what? I didn't hear the gospel that day, but I'm sure he gave it to me. But you know what I did. I got up and said, look, I go to church. I'm an acolyte. I help make the communion wine. I sing in the choir. I'm a Christian. And I walked out of that room mad. I thought he was rather harsh. But you know what? A year, a little over a year later, I became a Christian. And the first link 
of the chain, I believe, started that night with Carlos Lopez. And you know what? Carlos Lopez was bold. He wasn't afraid of what I thought of him. He wasn't afraid of what anybody thought of him. He only wanted to please God. And he was willing to give me the gospel. And you know what? When I think back now on it, those harsh words are now sweet words. They're beautiful words. They're wonderful words of life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the power of the gospel. For it is the power of your Holy Spirit to change lives and change them for all eternity. Lord, help us to be a people who do not fear what others think about us. Help us to want to glorify you by being bold with the gospel. Father, help us to see opportunities that you give us as divine appointments and help us not to miss those because we rush through the day trying to get everything done. Father, help us to keep our minds and our eyes open for answered prayer, for um, opportunities to love others with the gospel. Father, thank you for this day that we can be together. Thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. Help us to be changed. Help us to walk out of here changed today. For we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.